Well, I want to begin today by whining a little bit, because I'll be honest with you, ministry can be hard. It can be painful at times. And what I've learned over 30, 30 years of ministry, I kind of expected it to be hard, but I didn't expect some of the pain to come from inside the body, from other Christians. Well, I, I thought of many examples, and I just don't have time. It's really funny, some of them, but I'll give you one example that it was several years back, a while back. It's a married couple in our congregation. They no longer go here. You don't need to, well, who was that? Stop it. Uh, they're gone. But what happened is he had an affair, sadly, unfortunately. And I was the pastor involved uh, giving biblical counsel to the wife. Why not the husband? I, I asked him to come in to sit with me, to sit with us. No, not going to do it. He was a member. We had to go through church discipline, remove him from membership. In the process, we communicate, you're still loved and welcome here. We want you here in worship. And uh, he, he refused that. And then she divorced him for very biblical grounds. Um, so that was their story. Uh, the next step of it was uh, the death threats he made against me. So just that. Like, well, how'd that go down? On Twitter. <laughs> like out there on the interwebs. Like, boom, there it is, right? In fact, repeatedly, he had this rhythm. A post about MMA, a Bible verse, threatened death to the pastor. Repeat. Like he just kept going through it over and over. The police were involved. Oh, it was a mess. And, and I'll tell you, I, I can laugh about it now. But listen, if you don't laugh, you cry, right? And you need to know, in pastoral ministry, I do both. Uh, there's both uh, laughter and weeping over what goes on at times. Um, I didn't do anything but give biblical counsel to his wife. He had an affair, death threats against me. What the heck? And, and then one of the things, listen, do pastors sometimes make mistakes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, though, we do nothing but biblical ministry and somebody gets their knickers in a twist and they, they leave the church, they trash talk the pastor. Like you got to imagine this guy's friends see his Twitter posts they're like, what's with that? Do you think he was humble in the moment? No. No, it was something about me. I didn't do anything, you know? Uh, and that's what happens. Gossip and dissension, and there's only one side to the story. Now listen, I love our church. I love what God, by his grace, allows me to do. But sometimes there's this assumption that when you go into ministry, it's all rainbows and, and butterflies. And it's not. It actually hurts some. The thing that hurts the most is friendly fire. I, I kind of expected when I went into the ministry, I expected to get it from the world. I expected to get it from non-Christians. That didn't surprise me. I didn't expect to get shot in the back by my own people, right? By the way, right now you're like, what's going on? Don't worry, we're fine. <laughs> but, but this has been the, the surprise of three decades of ministry that, that when you shepherd, sometimes the sheep bite, Sheep sometimes bite the, the shepherd, right? That's what hurts the most. Now I'm done, done whining. That was cathartic for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. But this is not about me. This is actually about the Apostle Paul. See, what we're doing today is we're getting back into 2 Corinthians and continuing to work through that book. And what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul experienced friendly fire a lot. And it hurt. Here's the wild thing about Paul. He lists out in his letter 
all the hardship from the world and from non-Christians. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He got insulted. As well, there were things like shipwrecked and hunger and all this crap. And he doesn't give us one hint that he was ever sad or emotionally distressed about that. You know what he got sad about? Friendly fire. That, that's what made him sad. All the other stuff, he's like, ah, no big deal. Friendly fire really, really hurt. Sheep bites. And it's on display in 2 Corinthians. So as we get back in the book, let me remind you of some of the history. The Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, went from Jerusalem up to, and then crossed over to the Greek Peninsula and got down to Corinth. He spent a year and a half in Corinth planting a church, sharing the gospel, redemption stories. There were baptisms, I'm sure. Amazing, amazing stuff going on. He is their spiritual dad, loving them, pouring his heart into them, sacrificing for them, teaching them, discipling them. Oh, it's beautiful. Now, after a year and a half, Paul's habit is he spends some time, gets the church on its feet, and then he bounces because he goes to another city to plant another church. And that's what he did. He left. He went across the GNC to Ephesus, and he planted that great church there. After the apostle Paul left Corinth, if you remember, if you were here when we were going through 1 Corinthians, what happened? The church became a? Dumpster fire. So you go from friendly fire to dumpster fire, and that's absolutely what happened. It wasn't that like they didn't load the dishwasher correctly. <laughs> no, it's not that kind of stuff. It was like there was uh, pagan idolatry being mixed into church. There was pride. Their marriages are a mess. There's divisions in the congregation. They're suing each other. Sexual immorality is going on. And in all that, no church discipline. So the church is like, sure, that's all right. Let it go. So they are a dumpster fire. And all that breaks Paul's heart, of course. Why? Because he's their spiritual dad. And so anything in his kids that they move towards God, he celebrates. Anytime they move away from God, his heart is crushed. So he's already sad. But then this happens. Then these false teachers, these false apostles come in after Paul's gone. And these are like celebrity preachers. Like if you've ever heard of pe- preachers and sneakers, right? Like these guys are getting banked from the church, lining their own pockets. Paul never took a dime. He just gave to them. These, they're in for them. And they are flashy and sharp. And also they, they start dissing Paul. They start questioning his apostleship. They even question the gospel. Now, now for Paul, it's not only personal, it's theological. The church at Corinth is at risk of abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a really big deal. And this is going on and the church just lets it go. No big, no, no. So here's Paul. He's done nothing wrong. He's loved them. He's poured into them and they are trashing Paul. And it hurts. Remember all the other stuff from non-Christians in the world. It was like, eh, no big deal. Friendly fire, sheep bites, that hurts. And now we're going to see his emotion. So he talked about a painful visit. Uh, So on his third missionary journey, he was camped in Ephesus. He went over and did a painful visit. It hurt. And then he wrote a letter. He called it the sorrowful letter. He's sad. 
In fact, he talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Jira, the heart of a parent, a spiritual parent in this case, just its heart's twisted up for his spiritual kids. So what Paul does on the third missionary journey when he's camped in Ephesus, he sends Titus. Titus is like his brother in the ministry. And so he sends Titus, hey, go over to Corinth, try to put out the fire there. Because Paul's still wrapped up in some ministry in Ephesus. He can't leave at the time. So Titus crosses the sea, uh, goes through Macedonia, down into the Greek peninsula. It's where Corinth is. And, and turns out things went really well. Oh, praise God. Things, they, they repented and things went really well. So, so what happens then is Paul wraps up his ministry in Ephesus. He goes over to Macedonia and he's making his way down to Corinth thinking it's going to be a cage match when he gets there. Titus then goes north, meets Paul on the way and shares the good news. Oh, Paul is so relieved. Now, he, he still has some ministry to do in Macedonia. In Macedonia, that would have been churches like Philippi and Thessalonica. And so he's going to wrap some things. So he writes a letter that we're studying called 2 Corinthians and sends it ahead of him to Corinth while he wraps up before he moves south to, to spend more time with this church that is now in repentance. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That brings you back up, up to speed. But it also, what it does is it sets the context for this morning's passage as we're in chapter 7, Verse 2, and you're going to see it's all about conflict resolution. So let's, let's dig in. Here, here we are, chapter 7, verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fightings without fear within. But God. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Now in that longer passage are all the elements of healthy conflict resolution. And that's what we're going to talk through today. Now granted, it's in the context of a pastor confronting a congregation. <laughs> but as 
I'm the only pastor in the room. Like, that doesn't help as much. But the cool thing is, they are general principles that can apply in any relationship. They can apply in work relationships, friendships, parent to child, child to parent. They can apply in marriages. And listen, Christians, we need to go after these, okay? The world's way is when there is relational conflict, I will just cut you out of my life. You're dead to me. I I don't care. Screw you, I'm out. That's not God's way. When the church shines in all her radiance and glory, we look for redemption in hurt relationships. We look for resurrection from the God who brings life out of death, and we move toward each other and we heal. That's what the people of God should do. I mentioned how it applies to marriage. (laughs) I've been married 31 years. And uh, I have learned the secret is not avoiding conflict. That don't work. The secret is being able to resolve conflict healthfully. And so in anticipation of this message, I texted Shannon, hey, what was one of the earliest fights in our marriage? Do you remember? And she texted back, teddy bears. Let me explain. Shannon, as she was growing up, one of the things she did is she collected teddy bears. And, and some of them were just cute. And some of them were really expensive and worth money. But she had a lot of them. Like a lot. <laughs> and when we got married and moved into our tiny apartment, she came with garbage bags. Now, we're talking contractor size, big old black bags. Three of them full of teddy bears. And she starts decorating. I'll be a while. Right? Like, and I'm a grown man. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Big old conflict over teddy bears. Over teddy bears. And here's the thing. Really early on in our marriage, we learned these communication conflict resolution principles. We committed ourselves to them. We dogmatically applied them. I mean that in a good way. And it has been a huge blessing to 31 years of marriage. And I want to share some of those things with you today, coming right out of this passage. But here's what I need you to know first. Before you go and talk to that person, you have a previous conversation to have. First, you start with just you and God. That's your first conversation, your first communication, just you and God. And what you need to do during that moment is I'm going to give you a list of five things here. Number one, you need to expect relational conflict in a fallen world. What happens is we are made for eternity, but we're not there yet. Nonetheless, we expect utopia. And so when conflict happens, we go, and and we get all bunched up and we, we react. Don't react. Respond. And you respond because you expect in a fallen world that relational conflict is actually quite normal. But if you don't set your expectation there, you're going to be shocked. You're going to react. You don't want to react. You want to respond. So you're going to get with God and remind yourself, this is okay. This is normal. It's part of the sanctification process. It's okay. Then number two, you're going to look beneath the surface. I recently got a new-to-me truck. I love my new truck. My old truck was a piece of crap. It was about 15 years old. There was rust not only on the body, 
there's rust on the frame. Big old holes of rust on the frame. If you know cars, that's not good, right? There was rust on the gas tank. Again, not good, okay? Like, so, uh, the, the, what else? Uh, it was two-door instead of four-door, so I couldn't take people with me. When I did have a passenger, the only one that could fit in the back was my dog. There was like a layer of dog hair all over the truck, right? So I just felt embarrassed and gross about it. So I, so I get the new truck that's none of those things. It was my day off. I think I had the truck for about a week. Uh, Shannon had to take the dog to the vet. So she took my truck. And uh, now I, sh- I knew about this, okay? And so both of us, we look back on this with 2020 hindsight. We're like, what were we thinking? Why didn't she just take her SUV that she always takes with the dog? No idea. She took the truck. Put the windows down so the dog hair blew all over the place. Right? Like I got back in the truck later. The dog hairs, the dog was in the back seat, not just back there. There's a layer of dog hair on the dash. How the, like how that happened? Right? There's dog hair all over. Oh my goodness. Uh, to be honest, I didn't handle it well. I had some cleanup work to do, and that was on me. Because what I discovered is that it wasn't about the truck and it wasn't about dog hair. It was stuff going on beneath the surface. You need to know the issue is usually not the issue. There's usually an issue beneath the issue. And there was stuff going on in my life. There was a lot going on in in the ministry at the time. And so there was a lot of stress in my life. This was my day off. I had things I wanted to get done. Now I got to add an hour to vacuum the truck, at least an hour, I'm telling you. Uh, and, And it was a hot day. So I'm sweating in the sun doing that. I'm just getting bunged up the whole time, right? Part of it's because I was embarrassed about my old truck. I'm excited now I don't have that. Now I'm, oh my goodness, is this going to repeat? All this is going on in me. It had nothing to do with Shannon. And yet I tried to make it about Shannon. You see that? When conflict happens, you have to look beneath what's going on inside me and what's going on inside that person that is the issue beneath the issue that's actually affecting this. And maybe it's a real issue or maybe it's just making it worse. You got to ask those questions. This was true for the Corinthians. The the issue is they were dissing Paul, but there was an issue under the issue. They were were dissing God. They were dissing the gospel. There were these false teachers. They're a dumpster fire. And Paul's concerned about that. Not just that they dissed him. He's looking at the issues under the issue. Now, the surface issue is still an issue and does need addressed. That, that still needs addressed. But if you look at the issue under the issue, sometimes that can help your heart shift from I want to crush them to I want to have compassion on them. To shift from crushing to compassion. Sometimes you got to look beneath the surface to get there. And that's just you and God. You haven't even talked to them yet, okay? Number three. Do a heart check. Paul in verse 2 said, make room in your hearts for us. You can imagine a time where you're sorting laundry, let's say in the family room, and you're putting the darks on the couch and, and the lights on the love seat and the mixer over here on the chair, and it's just covered with dirty laundry, and all of a sudden you get a knock at the door. It's unexpected company. Looking around, it's a mess. And they come in, and you're going to sit down. What do you do? You move, the, you make room for them. It's a great phrase. We need to do that in our hearts sometimes. Sometimes we've got so much dirty laundry piled up 
that we don't make room from the relational dirty laundry, move it out so they can sit down. And Paul's saying, well, you make room in your hearts for us. It's a heart check. One of the ways we get after that heart check is to ask the question, is this person an opponent or a teammate? The right answer is teammate, okay? We don't feel it at first, right? We got to do a heart check. We got to shift our heart there. Because what I want to do is make them an opponent. They're against me. I'm going to win as they lose. Or if they win, I lose. Game on. That's an opponent. But what if instead that person becomes my teammate alongside me? The problem is something not between us, but separate from us. And it's attacking us. And we as teammates are going to work on it together. We're going to win together or lose together. Now the goal is restoration. The goal is sanctification. The goal is that we champion our relationship together. Heart check. Heart check. And I'll tell you what, to get there, (laughs) that requires the help of God. And Paul is God with God, and he's got that. And so Paul, when he approaches the Corinthians, he's not approaching them as, I hate you. He's saying, I don't want to condemn you. He's in it for their good, for their blessing, for their growth. It's not all about Paul. It's a heart check. And again, that will require God's help. So the next thing you do, look to God. Look to God. You haven't even talked to it. It's just you and God. Look to God. See, I emphasize it when I read it. Verse 6 starts with, but God. And so here's this big conflict going on. And in the midst of it, Paul is looking for the activity of God. God, what are you up to? See, we get these blinders. All I can see is my hurt and my pain and my frustration. We got to take those things off and go, God, where are you working right now? Where's your hand? What are you up to? And we need God's activity. Listen, you can't respond well except that God gives you strength. You've heard that God give me strength, right? Maybe you've heard this one too. Lord, give me patience because if you give me strength, then I'm going to need some bail money. (laughs) Right? And whether God gives you strength or whether he gives you patience or whether he gives you love or bail money, whatever it is, you need God. You need God to provide a heart check, to provide godly motives, to give you love for that person. It is way beyond you. You can't do it. Just like every time I preach, I say, I can't do this, God. I need you to move. Same thing, conflict resolution. I need you to move. And then I also, I'm looking, I'm taking the blinders off. I'm looking for the plan of God, the hand of God. Jesus is still on his throne. He's not surprised by this. He's not freaking out. This is part of his plan. Okay, Jesus, what are you doing? How are you going to redeem this and bring life out of this? What are you up to, God? How can we all grow from this? So I'm going I'm to pray for God to bring redemption into that situation. Man, let's see what God does with this one. Now, if you look to God, uh, i got to warn you, the next step is you're going to look at yourself. Paul did that. Did you catch that? He said, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. It's a quote. Now, the only way he got there was that he considered, he examined himself what he might have done to aggravate the situation. In this case, Paul came through with flying colors, but that's really rare. Usually it takes two to tango. Usually there's air on both sides of that. And and so Paul came through the examination fine, but we usually don't because 
We all suck. You do. I do. We do. And so you got to look at what's going on in me. I warn you, if you do number four, look to God, you're going to do number five, look at yourself. Because if you think your poop don't stink, God ain't okay with that. God doesn't see it that way. And so if you welcome God into it, he will convict you. And by the way, that's really good. You know why? Two reasons. Number one, I can't change that other person. There's only one person I can change, and that's me. And so if God gives me something about me, that's something I can work on. I can't work on them. I can only work on me. So that's good. Convict me, God. Show me what I can do. And then the second reason is this. That person that hurt me, and I hurt them, we're both going to get home to Jesus someday, and Jesus isn't going to talk to me about what they did. He's going to talk to me about what I did. I'm responsible before God for my sin. I want to be much more concerned about my sin than their sin. So look at yourself. I just gave you five things to do. You haven't even talked to them yet. It's just you and God. So, of course, the next thing you're going to do is then you're going to communicate with them. Then you're going to communicate with them. And the first thing you're going to do is affirm, affirm, affirm. Does that seem like three things? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Listen, uh, Paul did that. Did you catch it? Verses three and four, Paul says this. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness to you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Do you hear that? Like, you matter to me. I love you. So you want to start, you want to affirm the relationship. Listen, this is killing me. But the reason it's killing me is because you matter to me. If you didn't matter to me, you couldn't hurt me. But you do matter to me and therefore you can hurt me. That's why this matters. He says we're going to die together and live together. That's I'm committed to you. No matter what happens here, I'm not going away. I'm in it to win it with you. I'm not going anywhere. I won't reject you. And by the way, if the person is a Christian, just be aware, you two are going to be together a long time. Like for eternity. Did you notice the word order? Paul didn't say to live together and die together. That's life on earth. We live and then we die. He didn't say that. He said to die together, then live together. That's resurrection life. That's eternity. Paul's like, we're going to be together a long time. So what Paul does is he takes a thousand yard stare. He, he, he thinks, okay, what will this matter in a thousand years? Think, think of in your conflict, you ask that question. In a thousand years, is this really going to matter? Now, the thing that matters is our sanctification and growth. That's why it matters. But not who's right and who's wrong. So this is a chance for sanctification. All that to say, you affirm the relationship. Then you affirm the person. Paul did that. He's saying good things about them, how he likes them, right? Have you heard of the affirmation sandwich? The bread's really good. The meat in the middle, not so much. And so it's, you, if you're going to confront, you affirm them, then you confront, and then you affirm them. Positive, negative, positive. Do that. Paul did that. Or, or even uh, studies have been done, and there's actually an affirmation ratio they found that most people need 10 positives to every one negative. Ten to one. Some of you are like, I ain't doing that. Okay. Just realize that's how people are wired. Do you want to be heard? 
10 to 1. Let's be honest. We as human beings, we are starving for affirmation and encouragement. We desperately need more of that in our lives. When you approach somebody out of conflict, will you bring a blessing, not just a beating? Will you bring a blessing, not just a beating? Affirm, affirm, affirm. Then, secondly, you're going to clearly and lovingly confront Okay, some of you are conflict avoiders, right? You've been with me so far, you just checked out, right? Uh, you're like, nope, don't like that. All right, you got to do it, though. You got to do it. It's godly. Now, Paul started with God. He got his heart right, okay? He examined himself, and then he could clearly and lovingly confront, and it was not being brash, not a jerk. It wasn't all about Paul. He cared about the Corinthians, so Paul said that he, with boldness, that he grieved them and he didn't regret it because it led to their repentance. It led to their growth. It was a good thing. He brought needed discipline, needed truth. It was good. Paul did that. Here's the thing, though. If you want to know about Paul's beef with the Corinthians, you need to read First and Second Corinthians, the letter to them. If you roll over to Galatians and read that letter from Paul to those churches, you won't find out what was wrong with the Corinthians. You'll find out what Paul thought was wrong with the Galatians. See what's going on? Paul was committed to talk to people, not about people. And he didn't allow himself, the Christian, dodge on this of spiritual gossip of, hey, pray for them. You know, I know we're not supposed to gossip, but let me tell you what they're doing wrong. Can you pray for them? Still gossip. He didn't do that. He talked to the Corinthians about the Corinthians. We need to talk to people and not about people. And when we do, clearly communicate what you feel. You feel, I feel, I think, it seems like. You're not God. You're not omniscient. You don't know all things. So I feel like you did this. So you're going to communicate what you think they did wrong and that it hurt you. It's very important. And because what I'm saying there is that you matter to me, and because you matter to me, you have the ability to hurt me. And now I'm bringing feelings and emotion and love into it, not just, I'm right, you're wrong, let's fight. You matter to me. And you also want to communicate concern for that person. This isn't just about you and how they hurt you. If somebody is in sin, you understand that sin in their life hurts them? And so I'm shooting for their growth. I'm shooting for their sanctification. I'm concerned about them. I know this seems scary, but I'll tell you what, if done rightly, this is one of God's primary ways to grow us up is that we talk into each other's lives. A guy named Scott Hafman said it this way. Confronting sin and calling God's people to repentance are the primary instruments of sanctification in the life of a Christian. In our pluralistic, therapeutic, and privatistic culture, this kind of intervention is uncomfortable and increasingly uncommon. The courage to take such a stance, confronting sin, is a fundamental expression of Christian love and leadership. This is a call on our life. This is how we grow people. 
If you're waiting for God to speak from heaven to tell you what you're doing wrong, he will likely do it through other people. Now, of course, some of you who are scared of the confronting part are waiting for this one. Here it is. Number three, tone matters, right? Tone matters. You know, sometimes a doctor will cut you open. He or she's called a surgeon, right? In order to heal you, they have to cut you. But when they cut you, they use a scalpel, not a hatchet, right? Tone matters, This is why we started with just me and God. Because if I don't do that step, I'm coming in with a hatchet. I got to check myself and make sure I'm coming in on a love tone matters. And then having uh, confronted in love, then fourth, you got to leave it in their court. Love them. You embrace them. You care about their growth. You're welcome. You're making room in your heart. You're speaking into it. But having spoken into it, how they respond is not your responsibility. You leave it in their court. And sometimes it'll take, you got, listen, you got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to get in there and do some work, right? Leave some time. It might take years. For Paul, there was a torturous delay before the Corinthians actually came around. Leave it in their court. Do your part before the Lord and then grieve the hardship but have hope and pray for God to move. Leave it in their court. Now there is number five coming up, but before I get to that, there's one I've taken off the list here and it's repentance. Okay, Because I'm talking about what I would do when confronting somebody else. The repentance part is on them and what we're looking, and, and that happened. Paul said they were mourning, they were uh, repenting, that happened for them. We're, we're not looking for regret. We're looking for godly repentance. But all of that has to do with next week's sermon. So we're going to push that a week down the road. But we, we at least need to mention there was repentance. And because then the fifth step makes sense, celebrate and heal. Celebrate and heal. In verses 7 to 9, Paul is celebrating their repentance. Now, if we're honest, sometimes we don't want to right? When I'm mad at somebody because they hurt me, I am so warmed by my anger. I love my anger. It is so nice to feel angry. You ever get ticked when somebody apologizes? Granted, there's insincere apologies, right? Again, that's next week. But sometimes it's a sincere apology and I don't want to hear it because I'm mad. Now you took away my right to be mad. Now I'm mad that I'm not mad. Right? And I don't want, but you know what? We have to celebrate. What is the goal? Is the goal for me to get revenge and vent on it? Is the goal relational restoration? Is the goal their growth? Is the goal the glory of God and the advancement of the king? If that's the goal, celebrate and heal. Make room in your heart for them. Celebrate and heal. All right, so those are some of the things that Shannon and I learned early on and we've applied. It's been a blessing and it applies in so many different relational settings. First, just a conversation you and God. Second, a conversation with them. So I, I, if, to be fair, I had a two-point sermon. Actually, ten points. But okay, So those are, those are the things you need to do, though, okay? Let me finish with this. I want you to embrace the suck. Are you familiar with this phrase? It's military slang, okay? This is what it means. 
It means to consciously accept or appreciate something that is extremely unpleasant but unavoidable for forward progress. Conflict resolution sucks. It's really, really hard. It can be uh, fruitful, though. And so no pain, no gain. We're going to do short-term pain for long-term gain. It is completely worth it. And here's why. God is not in the business of health and wealth. That's bullcrap. He is not looking to give you the American dream baptizing Christianity. He is looking to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and bring kingdom impact out of your life. And you and I, you suck, I suck, we all suck. We have so far to go. And one of the primary instruments he has to help us get there, conflict resolution. Embrace the suck. Let's do it together, okay? Let me pray. Father, you say in your word that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We love that verse. We go, oh, that's so cool. We remember in your presence right now that that is iron on iron. iron. That is a grating, uncomfortable, hard process. But that's how you sharpen us. Would you take us there for your glory and for our growth? Let us be courageous. Let us be godly in how we go about it. Take us there, Lord, please, I pray in Christ's name.